1: I'm your host, Alison Larkin, and you're listening to The Jane Austen Podcast, presented by Realm. This is Emma, Episode 4. In this episode, you'll be hearing Chapters 7 and 8. Written by Jane Austen. Read by Alison Larkin. That's me. Enjoy. Chapter 7 The very day of Mr. Elton's going to London produced a fresh occasion for Emma's services towards her friend. Harriet had been at Hartfield as usual soon after breakfast, and after a time had gone home to return again to dinner. She returned, and sooner than had been talked of, and with an agitated, hurried look, announcing something extraordinary to have happened which she was longing to tell. Half a minute brought it all out. She had heard, as soon as she got back to Mrs. Goddard's, that Mr. Martin had been there an hour before, and finding she was not at home, nor particularly expected, had left a little parcel for her from one of his sisters and gone away. And on opening this parcel, she had actually found, besides the two songs which she had lent Elizabeth to copy, a letter to herself. And this letter was from him, from Mr. Martin, and contained a direct proposal of marriage. Who could have thought it? She was so surprised she did not know what to do. Yes, quite a proposal of marriage, and a very good letter, at least she thought so. And he wrote as if he really loved her very much. But she did not know, and so she was come as fast as she could to ask Miss Woodhouse what she should do. Emma was half ashamed of her friend for seeming so pleased and so doubtful. Upon my word, she cried, the young man is determined not to lose anything for want of asking. He will connect himself well if he can. Will you read the letter, cried Harriet. Pray do, I'd rather you would. Emma was not sorry to be pressed. She read and was surprised. The style of the letter was much above her expectation. There were not merely no grammatical errors, but as a composition it would not have disgraced a gentleman. The language, though plain, was strong and unaffected, and the sentiments it conveyed very much to the credit of the writer. It was short but expressed good sense, warm attachment, liberality, propriety, even delicacy of feeling. She paused over it, while Harriet stood anxiously watching for her opinion with a, well, well, and was at last forced to add, is it a good letter, or is it too short? Yes, indeed, a very good letter, replied Emma rather slowly. So good a letter, Harriet, that everything considered, I think one of his sisters must have helped him. I can hardly imagine the young man whom I saw talking with you the other day could express himself so well, if left quite to his own powers, and yet it is not the style of a woman. No, certainly it is too strong and concise, not diffuse enough for a woman. No doubt he is a sensible man, and I suppose may have a natural talent for— thinks strongly and clearly, and when he takes a pen in hand, his thoughts naturally find proper words. It is so with some men. Yes, I understand the sort of mind, vigorous decided, with sentiments to a certain point, not coarse. A better written letter, Harriet, returning it, than I had expected. Well, said the still waiting Harriet, well, and... And what shall I do? What shall you do? In what respect? Do you mean with regard to this letter? Yes. But what are you in doubt of? You must answer it, of course, and speedily. Yes, but what shall I say? Dear Miss Woodhouse, do advise me. Oh, no, no. The letter had much better be all your own. You will express yourself very properly, I am sure. There is no danger of your not being intelligible, which is the first thing. Your meaning must be unequivocal, no doubts or demurs, and such expressions of gratitude and concern for the pain you are inflicting as propriety requires will present themselves unbidden to your mind, I am persuaded. You need not be prompted to write with the appearance of sorrow for his disappointment. You think I ought to refuse him, then? said Harriet, looking down. Ought to refuse him? My dear Harriet, what do you mean? Are you in any doubt as to that? I thought, but I beg your pardon, perhaps I have been under a mistake. I certainly have been misunderstanding you if you feel in doubt as to the purport of your answer. I had imagined you were consulting me only as to the wording of it. Harriet was silent. With a little reserve of manner, Emma continued. You mean to return a favourable answer, I collect. No, I do not. That is, I do not mean... What shall I do? What would you advise me to do? Pray, dear Miss Woodhouse, tell me what I ought to do. I shall not give you any advice, Harriet. I will have nothing to do with it. This is a point which you must settle with your feelings. I had no notion that he liked me so very much, said Harriet, contemplating the letter. For a little while, Emma persevered in her silence, but beginning to apprehend the bewitching flattery of that letter might be too powerful, she thought it best to say, I lay it down as a general rule, Harriet, that if a woman doubts as to whether she should accept a man or not, she certainly ought to refuse him. If she can hesitate as to yes, she ought to say no directly. It is not a state to be safely entered into with doubtful feelings, with half a heart. I thought it my duty as a friend, and older than yourself, to say thus much to you, but do not imagine that I want to influence you. Oh, no, I am sure you are a great deal too kind to... But if you would just advise me what I had best do... No, no, I do not mean that. As you say, one's mind ought to be quite made up. One should not be hesitating. It is a very serious thing. It will be safer to say no, perhaps. Do you think I had better say no? Not for the world, said Emma, smiling graciously, would I advise you either way. You must be the best judge of your own happiness. If you prefer Mr. Martin to every other person, if you think him the most agreeable man you have ever been in company with, why should you hesitate? You blush, Harriet. Does anybody else occur to you at this moment under such a definition? Harriet, Harriet, do not deceive yourself. Do not be run away with by gratitude and compassion. At this moment, whom are you thinking of? The symptoms were favorable. Instead of answering, Harriet turned away confused and stood thoughtfully by the fire and though the letter was still in her hand, it was now mechanically twisted about without regard. Emma waited the result with impatience, but not without strong hopes. At last, with some hesitation, Harriet said, Miss Woodhouse, as you will not give me your opinion, I must do as well as I can by myself, and I have now quite determined and really almost made up my mind to refuse, Mr. Martin. Do you think I am right? Perfectly, perfectly right, my dearest Harriet. You are doing just what you ought. While you were at all in suspense, I kept my feelings to myself, but now that you are so completely decided, I have no hesitation in approving. Dear Harriet, I give myself joy of this. It would have grieved me to lose your acquaintance, which must have been the consequence of your marrying Mr. Martin. While you were in the smallest degree wavering, I said nothing about it because I would not influence, but it would have been the loss of a friend to me. I could not have visited Mrs. Robert Martin of Abbey Mill Farm. Now I am secure of you for ever. Harriet had not surmised her own danger, but the idea of it struck her forcibly. You could not have visited me, she cried, looking aghast. No, to be sure you could not, but I never thought of that before. That would have been too dreadful. What an escape. Dear Miss Woodhouse, I would not give up the pleasure and honor of being intimate with you for anything in the world. Indeed, Harriet, it would have been a severe pang to lose you, but it must have been. You would have thrown yourself out of all good society. I must have given you up. Dear me, how should I ever have borne it? It would have killed me never to come to Hartfield any more. Dear affectionate creature, you, banished to Abbey Mill Farm, you, confined to the society of the illiterate and vulgar all your life, I wonder how the young man could have the assurance to ask it. He must have a pretty good opinion of himself. I do not think he is conceited either in general said Harriet, her conscience opposing such censure, at least he is very good-natured, and I shall always feel much obliged to him, and have a great regard for. But that is quite a different thing from—and you know, though he may like me, it does not follow that I should, and certainly I must confess that since my visiting here I have seen people— and if one comes to compare them, person and manners, there is no comparison at all. One is so very handsome and agreeable. However, I do really think Mr. Martin a very amiable young man, and have a great opinion of him, and his being so much attached to me, and his writing such a letter. But as to leaving you, it is what I would not do upon any consideration. Thank you, thank you, my own sweet little friend. We will not be parted. A woman is not to marry a man merely because she is asked or because he is attached to her and can write a tolerable letter. Oh, no, and it is but a short letter, too. Emma felt the bad taste of her friend, but let it pass with a very true and it would be a small consolation to her for the clownish manner which might be offending her every hour of the day to know that her husband could write a good letter. Oh, yes, very. Nobody cares for a letter. The thing is to be always happy with pleasant companions. I am quite determined to refuse him. But how shall I do? What shall I say? Emma assured her there would be no difficulty in the answer, and advised it's being written directly, which was agreed to, in the hope of her assistance. And though Emma continued to protest against any assistance being wanted, it was in fact given in the formation of every sentence. The looking over his letter again in replying to it had such a softening tendency that it was particularly necessary to brace her up with a few decisive expressions— And she was so very much concerned at the idea of making him unhappy, and thought so much of what his mother and sisters would think and say, and was so anxious that they should not fancy her ungrateful, that Emma believed if the young man had come in her way at that moment he would have been accepted after all. This letter, however, was written, and sealed, and sent; the business was finished, and Harriet safe. She was rather low all the evening, but Emma could allow for her amiable regrets, and sometimes relieved them by speaking of her own affection, sometimes by bringing forward the idea of Mr. Elton. "'I shall never be invited to Abbey Mill again,' was said in rather a sorrowful tone. "'Nor, if you were, could I ever bear to part with you, my Harriet. You are a great deal too necessary at Hartfield to be spared to Abbey Mill.' And I am sure I should never want to go there, for I am never happy but at Hartfield. Sometime afterwards it was, I think Mrs. Goddard would be very much surprised if she knew what had happened. I am sure Miss Nash would. For Miss Nash thinks her own sister very well married and it is only a linen draper. One should be sorry to see greater pride or refinement in the teacher of a school, Harriet. I dare say Miss Nash would envy you such an opportunity as this of being married. Even this conquest would appear valuable in her eyes. As to anything superior for you, I suppose she is quite in the dark. The attentions of a certain person can hardly be among the tittle-tattle of Highbury yet. Hitherto, I fancy you and I are the only people to whom his looks and manners have explained themselves. Harriet blushed and smiled and said something about wondering that people should like her so much. The idea of Mr. Elton was certainly cheering, but still after a time she was tender-hearted again towards the rejected Mr. Martin. "'Now he has got my letter,' said she softly. "'I wonder what they are all doing, whether his sisters know. "'If he is unhappy they will be unhappy too. "'I hope he will not mind it so very much.' Let us think of those among our absent friends who are more cheerfully employed, cried Emma. At this moment, perhaps, Mr. Elton is showing your picture to his mother and sisters, telling how much more beautiful is the original and, after being asked for it five or six times, allowing them to hear your name, your own dear name. My picture? But he has left my picture in Bond Street. Has he So. Then I know nothing of Mr. Elton, no, my dear little modest Harriet. Depend upon it, the picture will not be in Bond Street till just before he mounts his horse tomorrow. It is his companion all this evening, his solace, his delight. It opens his designs to his family, it introduces you among them, it diffuses through the party those pleasantest feelings of our nature, eager curiosity and warm prepossession. How cheerful, how animated, how suspicious, how busy their imaginations all are. Harriet smiled again, and her smiles grew stronger.
0: While I do really enjoy the convenience of streaming at home, there is something really special about the experience of going to the movie theater. And if you're like me and find yourself going a couple times a month, or the cost of movie tickets has kept you from going as often as you'd like, Regal Unlimited just makes sense. Regal Unlimited is the all-you-can-watch movie subscription pass that pays for itself in just two visits. I love going to Regal theaters. I personally have gone twice in the last three weeks, and so this movie subscription pass is truly perfect. You can see any standard 2D movie anytime with no blackout dates or restrictions. And when you want to watch a movie in a premium format, like 4DX, IMAX, RPX, or ScreenX, your Regal Unlimited memberships gets you into those premium experiences at a reduced cost. And with Regal Unlimited, you'll also save on snacks, which is personally a must when in the theater. Members get 10% off all non-alcoholic concession items. So if you're planning to see two movies this month, you need to join Regal Unlimited. Sign up now in the Regal app or on regmovies.com slash unlimited. R-E-G movies.com unlimited. When you sign up, use code Austin024 and earn 10% off a three-month subscription. Again, Regal Unlimited is the all-you-can-watch movie subscription pass that pays for itself in just two visits. So if you're planning to see more than one movie this month, Regal Unlimited is the way to save money on your tickets and your snacks and just have that magical experience in a movie theater. I've been on such a learning kick lately, and I mean everything from taking ceramics classes to reading multiple nonfiction books, which is very unlike me as a almost exclusive fiction reader. But it's so amazing to learn new things in all these different ways, which is why I am so excited to talk about our sponsor, Marquee TV. Firstly, because their support is why we're able to bring this podcast to you. And secondly, because Marquee TV isn't just any streaming service. They're your gateway to an incredible world of arts and culture, and it's been a great addition to my rotation of places to learn from. Now that I've had time to explore Marquee TV, I've been truly amazed by the vast library of performances, exclusive interviews, and behind the scenes content. It's a treasure trove for any arts and culture lover. And again, as someone who's really trying to absorb as much new information right now, the first thing I watched on Marquee TV was The Pianist of Yarmouk. It's a documentary about a classically trained musician attempting to escape the war in Syria. And while it was made in 2016, it's a documentary that's especially poignant today. Music plays such an important part in so many aspects of life and I probably would never have heard about this story if it weren't for Marquee TV. So imagine having the world's most breathtaking ballets, dramatic theater productions, and magical operas at your fingertips. That's the experience Marquee TV offers, making the arts accessible wherever you are. So bring the arts home with Marquee TV. We've got a special treat for our listeners. Marquee TV offers three months of access for just 99 cents. That's right, three months for only 99 cents with the code Austin. Just visit marquee.tv and use the promo code Austin to dive into the world of arts like never before. Explore the extensive library of performances on Marquee TV and keep up with the latest in arts streaming by following at Marquee TV on social media. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back.
1: Chapter 8 Harriet slept at Hartfield that night. For some weeks past, she had been spending more than half her time there and gradually getting to have a bedroom appropriated to herself. And Emma judged it best in every respect, safest and kindest, to keep her with them as much as possible just at present. She was obliged to go the next morning for an hour or two to Mrs. Goddard's, but it was then to be settled that she should return to Hartfield to make a regular visit of some days. While she was gone, Mr. Knightley called and sat some time with Mr. Woodhouse and Emma, till Mr. Woodhouse, who had previously made up his mind to walk out, was persuaded by his daughter not to defer it, and was induced by the entreaties of both, though against the scruples of his own civility, to leave Mr. Knightley for that purpose. Mr. Knightley, who had nothing of ceremony about him, was offering by his short decided answers an amusing contrast to the protracted apologies and civil hesitations of the other. Well, I believe if you will excuse me, Mr. Knightley, if you will not consider me as doing a very rude thing, I shall take Emma's advice and go out for a quarter of an hour. As the sun is out, I believe I had better take my three turns while I can. I treat you without ceremony, Mr. Knightley. We invalids think we are privileged people. My dear sir, do not make a stranger of me. I leave an excellent substitute in my daughter. Emma will be happy to entertain you and therefore I think I will beg your excuse and take my three turns, my winter walk. You cannot do better, sir. I would ask for the pleasure of your company, Mr. Knightley, but I am a very slow walker, and my pace would be tedious to you, and besides, you have another long walk before you to Donwell Abbey. Thank you, sir, thank you. I am going this moment myself, and I think the sooner you go, the better. I will fetch your greatcoat and open the garden door for you. Mr. Woodhouse at last was off, but Mr. Knightley, instead of being immediately off likewise, sat down again, seemingly inclined for more chat. He began speaking of Harriet, and speaking of her with more voluntary praise than Emma had ever heard before. I cannot rate her beauty as you do, said he. But she is a pretty little creature, and I am inclined to think very well of her disposition. Her character depends upon those she is with, but in good hands, she will turn out a valuable woman. I am glad you think so, and the good hands I hope may not be wanting. Come, said he, you are anxious for a compliment, so I will tell you that you have improved her. You have cured her of her schoolgirl's giggle. She really does you credit. Thank you. I should be mortified indeed if I did not believe I had been of some use. But it is not everybody who will bestow praise where they may. You do not often overpower me with it. You are expecting her again, you say, this morning. Almost every moment, she has been gone longer already than she intended. Something has happened to delay her, some visitors, perhaps. Highbury gossips, tiresome wretches. Harriet may not consider everybody tiresome that you would. Emma knew this was too true for contradiction and therefore said nothing. He presently added with a smile, I do not pretend to fix on times or places, but I must tell you that I have good reason to believe your little friend will soon hear of something to her advantage. Indeed? How so? Of what sort? A very serious sort, I assure you. Still smiling very serious. I can think of but one thing. Who is in love with her? Who makes you their confidant? Emma was more than half in hopes of Mr Elton's having dropped a hint. Mr Knightley was a sort of general friend and adviser, and she knew Mr Elton looked up to him. "I have reason to think," he replied, "that Harriet Smith will soon have an offer of marriage, and from a most unexceptionable quarter but Martin is the man. Her visit to Abbey Mill this summer seems to have done his business. He is desperately in love and means to marry her. He is very obliging, said Emma, but is he sure that Harriet means to marry him? Well, well, means to make her an offer, then. Will that do? He came to the Abbey two evenings ago on purpose to consult me about it. He knows I have a thorough regard for him and all his family, and I believe considers me as one of his best friends.' He came to ask me whether I thought it would be imprudent in him to settle so early, whether I thought her too young, in short, whether I approved his choice altogether. Having some apprehension, perhaps, of her being considered, especially since you're making so much of her as in a line of society above him, I was very much pleased with all that he said. I never hear better sense from anyone than Robert Martin. He always speaks to the purpose, open, straightforward, and very well judging. He told me everything, his circumstances and plans, and what they all proposed doing in the event of his marriage. He is an excellent young man, both as son and brother. I had no hesitation in advising him to marry. He proved to me that he could afford it, and that being the case, I was convinced he could not do better. I praised the fair lady, too, and altogether sent him away very happy. If he had never esteemed my opinion before, he would have thought highly of me then and I dare say left the house thinking me the best friend a counsellor man ever had. This happened the night before last. Now, as we may fairly suppose, he would not allow much time to pass before he spoke to the lady, and as he does not appear to have spoken yesterday, it is not unlikely that he should be at Mrs. Goddard's today, and she may be detained by a visitor without thinking him at all a tiresome wretch. Pray, Mr. Knightley said Emma, who had been smiling to herself through a great part of this speech. How do you know that Mr. Martin did not speak yesterday? Certainly, replied he, surprised. I do not absolutely know it, but it may be inferred. Was not she the whole day with you? Come, said she. I will tell you something in return for what you have told me. He did speak yesterday, that is, he wrote, and was refused. This was obliged to be repeated before it could be believed. And Mr. Knightley actually looked red with surprise and displeasure as he stood up in tall indignation and said, Then she is a greater simpleton than I ever believed her. What is the foolish girl about? Oh, to be sure cried Emma. It is always incomprehensible to a man that a woman should ever refuse an offer of marriage. A man always imagines a woman to be ready for anybody who asks her. Nonsense. A man does not imagine any such thing. But what is the meaning of this? Harriet Smith refused Robert Martin? Madness, if it is so. But I hope you are mistaken. I saw her answer. Nothing could be clearer you saw her answer, you wrote her answer too, Emma, this is your doing, you persuaded her to refuse him. And if I did, which, however, I am far from allowing, I should not feel that I had done wrong. Mr. Martin is a very respectable young man, but I cannot admit him to be Harriet's equal, and am rather surprised indeed that he should have ventured to address her. By your account, he does seem to have had some scruples. It is a pity that they were ever got over. Not Harriet's equal, exclaimed Mr. Knightley loudly and warmly, and with calmer asperity added a few moments afterwards. No, he is not her equal indeed, for he is as much her superior in sense as in situation. Emma, your infatuation about that girl blinds you. What are Harriet Smith's claims, either of birth, nature, or education to any connection higher than Robert Martin? She is the natural daughter of nobody knows whom, with probably no settled provision at all, and certainly no respectable relations. She is known only as parlour boarder at a common school. She is not a sensible girl, nor a girl of any information. She has been taught nothing useful and is too young and too simple to have acquired anything herself. At her age, she can have no experience, and with her little wit, is not very likely ever to have any that can avail her. She is pretty, and she is good-tempered, and that is all. My only scruple in advising the match was on his account as being beneath his deserts and a bad connection for him. I felt that as to fortune in all probability he might do much better, and that as to a rational companion or useful helpmate he could not do worse, but I could not reason so to a man in love and was willing to trust to there being no harm in her, to her having that sort of disposition which in good hands like his might be easily led aright and turn out very well. The advantage of the match, I felt to be all on her side, and had not the smallest doubt, nor have I now, that there would be a general cry out upon her extreme good luck. Even your satisfaction I made sure of, it crossed my mind immediately that you would not regret your friends leaving Highbury for the sake of her being settled so well. I remember saying to myself, even Emma, with all her partiality for Harriet, will think this a good match. I cannot help wondering at your knowing so little of Emma as to say any such thing. What? Think a farmer, and with all his sense and all his merit, Mr. Martin is nothing more, a good match for my intimate friend? Not regret her leaving Highbury for the sake of marrying a man whom I could never admit as an acquaintance of my own?' I wonder you should think it possible for me to have such feelings. I assure you mine are very different. I must think your statements by no means fair. You are not just to Harriet's claims. They would be estimated very differently by others as well as myself. Mr. Martin may be the richest of the two, but he is undoubtedly her inferior as to rank in society. The sphere in which she moves is much above his. It would be a degradation a degradation to illegitimacy and ignorance to be married to a respectable, intelligent gentleman farmer. As to the circumstances of her birth, though in a legal sense she may be called nobody, it will not hold in common sense. She is not to pay for the offence of others by being held below the level of those with whom she is brought up. There can scarcely be a doubt that her father is a gentleman and a gentleman of fortune. Her allowance is very liberal. Nothing has ever been grudged for her improvement or comfort. That she is a gentleman's daughter is indubitable to me. That she associates with gentlemen's daughters, no one I apprehend will deny. She is superior to Mr. Robert Martin. Whoever might be her parents said Mr Knightley, whoever may have had the charge of her, it does not appear to have been any part of their plan to introduce her into what you would call good society. After receiving a very indifferent education, she is left in Mrs Goddard's hands to shift as she can, to move, in short, in Mrs Goddard's line, to have Mrs Goddard's acquaintance. Her friends evidently thought this good enough for her, and it was good enough. She desired nothing better herself. Till you chose to turn her into a friend, her mind had no distaste for her own set nor any ambition beyond it. She was as happy as possible with the Martins in the summer. She had no sense of superiority then. If she has it now, you have given it. You have been no friend to Harriet Smith, Emma. Robert Martin would never have proceeded so far if he had not felt persuaded of her not being disinclined to him. I know him well. He has too much real feeling to address any woman on the haphazard of selfish passion. And as to conceit, he is the farthest from it of any man I know. Depend upon it, he had encouragement. It was most convenient to Emma not to make a direct reply to this assertion. She chose rather to take up her own line of the subject again. You are a very warm friend to Mr. Martin, but as I said before, are unjust to Harriet. Harriet's claims to marry well are not so contemptible as you represent them. She is not a clever girl, but she has better sense than you are aware of and does not deserve to have her understanding spoken of so slightingly. Waiving that point, however and supposing her to be as you describe her only pretty and good-natured, let me tell you that in the degree she possesses them they are not trivial recommendations to the world in general, for she is in fact a beautiful girl and must be thought so by ninety-nine people out of a hundred, and till it appears that men are much more philosophic on the subject of beauty than they are generally supposed— Till they do fall in love with well-informed minds instead of handsome faces, a girl, with such loveliness as Harriet, has a certainty of being admired and sought after, of having the power of choosing from among many, consequently a claim to be nice. Her good nature, too, is not so very slight a claim, comprehending as it does real, thorough sweetness of temper and manner, a very humble opinion of herself, and a great readiness to be pleased with other people. I am very much mistaken if your sex in general would not think such beauty and such temper the highest claims a woman could possess. Upon my word, Emma, to hear you abusing the reason you have is almost enough to make me think so too. Better be without sense than misapply it as you do. To be sure, cried she playfully, I know that is the feeling of you all. I know that such a girl as Harriet is exactly what every man delights in, what at once bewitches his senses and satisfies his judgment. Oh, Harriet may pick and choose. Were you yourself ever to marry, she is the very woman for you. And is she at seventeen, just entering into life, just beginning to be known to be wondered at because she does not accept the first offer she receives? No, pray let her have time to look about her. I have always thought it a very foolish intimacy, said Mr. Knightley presently, though I have kept my thoughts to myself, but I now perceive that it will be a very unfortunate one for Harriet. You will puff her up with such ideas of her own beauty and of what she has a claim to, that in a little while nobody within her reach will be good enough for her. Vanity working on a weak head produces every sort of mischief. Nothing so easy as for a young lady to raise her expectations too high. Miss Harriet Smith may not find offers of marriage flow in so fast, though she is a very pretty girl. Men of sense, whatever you may choose to say, do not want silly wives. Men of family would not be very fond of connecting themselves with a girl of such obscurity, and most prudent men would be afraid of the inconvenience and disgrace they might be involved in when the mystery of her parentage came to be revealed. Let her marry Robert Martin and she is safe, respectable, and happy forever. But if you encourage her to expect to marry greatly and teach her to be satisfied with nothing less than a man of consequence and large fortune, she may be a parlour boarder at Mrs. Goddard's all the rest of her life, or at least, for Harriet Smith, is a girl who will marry somebody or other till she grow desperate and is glad to catch at the old writing master's son. We think so very differently on this point, Mr. Knightley, that there can be no use in canvassing it we shall only be making each other more angry. But as to my letting her marry Robert Martin, it is impossible. She has refused him, and so decidedly, I think, as must prevent any second application. She must abide by the evil of having refused him, whatever it may be. And as to the refusal itself, I will not pretend to say that I might not influence her a little, but I assure you there was very little for me or for anybody to do. His appearance is so much against him, and his manner so bad, that if she ever were disposed to favour him, she is not now. I can imagine that before she had seen anybody superior, she might tolerate him. He was the brother of her friends, and he took pains to please her, and altogether having seen nobody better, that must have been his great assistant, she might not, while she was at Abbey Mill, find him disagreeable, but the case is altered now. She knows now what gentlemen are, and nothing but a gentleman in education and manner has any chance with Harriet. Nonsense! Errant nonsense as ever was talked! cried Mr Knightley. Robert Martin's manners have sense, sincerity and good humour to recommend them, and his mind has more true gentility than Harriet Smith could understand. Emma made no answer and tried to look cheerfully unconcerned, but was really feeling uncomfortable and wanting him very much to be gone. She did not repent what she had done, she still thought herself a better judge of such a point of female right and refinement than he could be, but yet she had a sort of habitual respect for his judgment in general which made her dislike having it so loudly against her and to have him sitting just opposite to her in angry state was very disagreeable. Some minutes passed in this unpleasant silence, with only one attempt on Emma's side to talk of the weather, but he made no answer. He was thinking. The result of his thoughts appeared at last in these words. Robert Martin has no great loss, if he can but think so, and I hope it will not be long before he does. Your views for Harriet are best known to yourself, but as you make no secret of your love of matchmaking, it is fair to suppose that views and plans and projects you have. And, as a friend, I shall just hint to you that if Elton is the man, I think it will be all labor in vain. Emma laughed and disclaimed. He continued, Depend upon it. Elton will not do. Elton is a very good sort of man and a very respectable vicar of Highbury, but not at all likely to make an imprudent match. He knows the value of a good income as well as anybody. Elton may talk sentimentally, but he will act rationally. He is as well acquainted with his own claims as you can be with Harriet's. He knows that he is a very handsome young man and a great favourite wherever he goes and from his general way of talking in unreserved moments when there are only men present, I am convinced that he does not mean to throw himself away. I have heard him speak with great animation of a large family of young ladies that his sisters are intimate with, who have all twenty thousand pounds apiece. I am very much obliged to you, said Emma, laughing again. If I had set my heart on Mr. Elton's marrying Harriet, it would have been very kind to open my eyes. But at present, I only want to keep Harriet to myself. I have done with matchmaking indeed. I could never hope to equal my own doings at Randall's. I shall leave off while I am well. Good morning to you, said he, rising and walking off abruptly. He was very much vexed. He felt the disappointment of the young man and was mortified to have been the means of promoting it by the sanction he had given, and the part which he was persuaded Emma had taken in the affair was provoking him exceedingly. Emma remained in a state of vexation too, but there was more indistinctness in the cause of hers than in his. She did not always feel so absolutely satisfied with herself, so entirely convinced that her opinions were right and her adversaries wrong as Mr. Knightley. He walked off in more complete self-approbation than he left for her. She was not so materially cast down, however, but that a little time and the return of Harriet were very adequate restoratives. Harriet's staying away so long was beginning to make her uneasy. The possibility of the young man's coming to Mrs. Goddard's that morning, and meeting with Harriet and pleading his own cause, gave alarming ideas. The dread of such a failure after all became the prominent uneasiness, and when Harriet appeared, and in very good spirits, and without having any such reason to give for her long absence, she felt a satisfaction which settled her with her own mind, and convinced her that, let Mr. Knightley think or say what he would, she had done nothing which women's friendship and woman's feelings would not justify. He had frightened her a little about Mr. Elton, but when she considered that Mr. Knightley could not have observed him as she had done, neither with the interest nor, she must be allowed to tell herself in spite of Mr. Knightley's pretensions, with the skill of such an observer on such a question as herself that he had spoken it hastily and in anger, she was able to believe that he had rather said what he wished resentfully to be true than what he knew anything about. He certainly might have heard Mr. Elton speak with more unreserve than she had ever done, and Mr. Elton might not be of an imprudent inconsiderate disposition as to money matters. He might naturally be rather attentive than otherwise to them. But then Mr. Knightley did not make due allowance for the influence of a strong passion at war with all interested motives. Mr. Knightley saw no such passion and of course thought nothing of its effects, but she saw too much of it to feel a doubt of its overcoming any hesitations that a reasonable prudence might originally suggest, and more than a reasonable becoming degree of prudence, she was very sure did not belong to Mr. Elton. Harriet's cheerful look and manner established hers. She came back, not to think of Mr. Martin, but to talk of Mr. Elton. Miss Nash had been telling her something which she repeated immediately with great delight. Mr. Perry had been to Mrs. Goddard's to attend a sick child and Miss Nash had seen him, and he had told Miss Nash that, as he was coming back yesterday from Clayton Park, he had met Mr. Elton and found to his great surprise that Mr. Elton was actually on his road to London and not meaning to return till the morrow, though it was the Whist Club night, which he had been never known to miss before and Mr. Perry had remonstrated with him about it and told him how shabby it was in him, their best player to absent himself and tried very much to persuade him to put off his journey only one day, but it would not do Mr. Elton had been determined to go on and had said in a very particular way indeed that he was going on business which he would not put off for any inducement in the world and something about a very enviable commission and being the bearer of something exceedingly precious. Mr. Perry could not quite understand him, but he was very sure there must be a lady in the case, and he told him so, and Mr. Elton only looked very conscious and smiling and rode off in great spirits. Miss Nash had told her all this and had talked a great deal more about Mr. Elton and said, looking so very significantly at her, But she did not pretend to understand what his business might be, but she only knew that any woman whom Mr. Elton could prefer, she should think the luckiest woman in the world. For beyond a doubt, Mr. Elton had not his equal for beauty or agreeableness.
0: You're listening to the Jane Austen Podcast with Alison Larkin. Created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. The Jane Austen Podcast with Alison Larkin is a Realm Original Production. Hosted and performed by Allison Larkin. Based on the novels by Jane Austen. Produced by Kaylin West and Nicole Kreuter. Executive produced by Molly Barton and Julian Yap. Audio editing by Corey Barton. Original theme by Hashem Asadolahi. Performed by Jody Redditch-Ferber and Ben Russell. Musical engineering by Justin Murrell. Musical supervision by Marcus Thorn-Bagala. Production Management by Devin Shepard. Production Coordination by Angela Yi. Cover Art by Naomi Cho. Executive in Charge for Realm, Mary Asadolahi. Find more shows like this on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.